from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Welcome to the uh, Tuesday night edition of the program. It's election day in a bunch of states across America. We're going to talk about the election results all night long. Our phone number, 833-4825-337-8334. Valdez is the phone number. And uh, some of the um, results that have come in, uh, the big one in Kentucky, uh, Daniel Cameron was defeated by incumbent Governor Andy Bashir, And uh, we have a quick clip of audio from Governor Bashir. Listen to this. Thank you, Kentucky! <laughs> Tonight, Kentucky made a choice. A choice not to move to the right or to the left, but to move forward for every single family. So that's a Democrat governor, Andy Bashir. Uh, he wins re-election in Kentucky while um, the um, Trump-backed Republican AG, Daniel Cameron, who is terrific, by the way, um, just didn't uh, wasn't able to, to take him on. And uh, he would have been the state's first black governor, uh, but incredibly outspent. I think there was something like $40 million or something like that that I just saw uh, that was put into this race. So I think it really was an issue of dollars and cents. Um, Governor Bashir painted Mr. Cameron as uh, a radical, you know, kind of what the Biden talks about you and me and so many of us, uh, you know, mega extremists, you know, whatever else they decide to call us. So uh, that's kind of how that went that way. And in Ohio, another uh, another stinging defeat uh, for the pro-life movement, lamentably, we have um, the uh, abortion measure that was on the ballot in Ohio uh, also passed uh, two ballot measures. The, the first will um, uh, highlight the right to reproductive care, as they labeled it, including access to abortion into the state constitution. The second will legalize recreational marijuana use. Uh, both amendments require 50% thresholds after voters rejected a measure this year to raise that threshold. Uh, we've also got uh, competitive races all over the place. Um, uh, there's uh, abortion issues, or I should say abortion uh, questions on several ballots uh, following the Roe versus Wade um, overturning. A lot of states decided to put this stuff on the ballot. Then we've got um, in Mississippi, Tate Reeves, a Republican running against Democrat Brandon Presley. Uh, that's still undecided. We've got, let's see, uh, we talked about Ohio and we got Virginia. Uh, Virginia's got elections for state Senate and state assembly where Democrats uh, have um, control of the upper chamber and Republicans control the lower uh, the fight for control of the Senate has largely been painted as a vote 
on whether the state will further restrict abortion. And we'll see how that uh, plays out. The, that stuff is coming in now. We're going to keep you up to speed on all of it. In New Jersey, there's also legislative elections and uh, there's there's election results coming in as, as we speak. I'm pausing to look at them. Uh, so we'll keep you up to speed on a lot of that stuff. Plus, I want to um, dig in a little bit to what we were discussing yesterday and, and as it's evolved, uh, the the case into former President Trump, the fraud trial, the civil fraud trial in New York. Uh, I want to get into some legal analysis on that as well. And uh, a couple of other topics. We've got quite a bit to discuss tonight, plus uh, a lot of uh, election information that's coming in. And since we're live and we're national, we're able to bring you as much as we we can uh, bring you, and we'll bring it to you live. Now, I want to quickly just uh, shift gears to back to Kentucky, because despite Daniel Cameron um, not pulling off that win, uh, everybody beneath him on the ballot seem to have won because uh, Kentucky Republicans pulled off a win in the race for secretary of state, uh, as well as uh, some of the other down ballot uh, positions. Let's see. Let's see what else we got here, which is interesting. That means people voted for uh, Bashir and then went back and voted down the line for Republicans. Now there is also Stephen Kipper, Alan Miracle, da 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 da. da. All right, that stuff isn't uh, isn't going to make us or break us. I think the the big race there was the uh, Secretary of State race and the um, race for governor. So uh, kudos to all the rest of the Republicans that won. The let's see, um, this stuff I'm refreshing as we speak. Michael Adams. Congratulations. And let's see who this other person is. All right. Well, this is frozen. Either way, we're going to continue our, our conversations on that. I also want to get into the um, the the updates on Israel because, man, there's so much to discuss. The other day, uh, I had all these stories that were sent to me during the show, but we were kind of tied up in open phones, and I, w- I wasn't able to really get into a bunch of them last night. Uh, but about the woman who drove her car into a school that had the Star of David on it, thinking that it, these were Jews. Now, this woman is 34 years old, right? Her name is uh, Ruba Almagath, right? A-L-M-A-G-H-T-H-E-H. I think I said that right. <laughs> and uh, she um, backed her vehicle into a building associated with black Hebrew Israelites in Indianapolis. And there were several children inside. Um, doesn't look like they were hurt, but she's a pendeja. And um, the black Hebrew Israelites oftentimes take exception uh, to the Jews. Uh, kind of like, you know, we're the real Jews, you're not the real Jews, etc. So this woman, in effect, drove her car into a building with the intention of causing harm. And instead, it was an ally, because as she was trying to hate the Jews, the black Hebrew Israelites that occupied that building uh, were already, um, you know, adversaries of the Jews crazy. I mean, I'm not trying to make light of it. I just think this whole thing is bizarre. 
And here's uh, the mugshot of this woman arrested for allegedly driving her car into what she thought was the Jewish school in Indianapolis. And then she says, yes, I did it on purpose. She repeatedly described the building as the Israel school, according to police reports, adding that she also made a reference to her people back in Palestine. Absolutely out of control. Then, uh, you've probably heard by now about uh, Paul Kessler, 69-year-old man that was in a kerfuffle with some uh, pro-Palestinian uh, protesters in California and ends up dead. Sad story. He died yesterday after uh, dueling with these pro-Palestinian, uh, excuse me, Palestinian protesters in Los Angeles. And he had a head injury that he'd sustained on Sunday at a protest in Thousand Oaks. And it just, it was too difficult to overcome. Horrible. Horrible to see this type of thing happen. Brain injuries are really tough. Oh, boy. Anyway, we'll continue with that. We're also going to talk about what happened in the courtroom. Like I said, I want to get into some analysis on that. So stick with us. There's a lot to discuss. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. So while Israel is being attacked, while Ukraine is being attacked, while inflation is eating our country alive, I'm down here. Of course, that is um, former President Donald Trump yesterday speaking outside the courthouse uh, with the um, legal team uh, addressing the media with respect to the civil fraud trial that uh, he's um, being uh, forced to endure. And Trump has been remarkably consistent, I think, in his messaging, his demeanor and his tone. Uh, but it seems from some audio that I've heard and video that I've seen of folks that were in the courtroom that it it hasn't been that uh, that calm for the judge, uh, the judge who's constantly passing notes back and forth between uh, the uh, clerk uh, was alleged to have been banging on the table and uh, very short in his responses, not allowing Trump to answer, saying uh, he wasn't interested in his response and uh, seemingly conducting a very one-sided uh, procedure rather than a hearing or a trial. So I want to get to the bottom of that with uh, uh, Trump attorney Jesse Benal. He's been on with us before. Jesse Benal, welcome back, sir. Rich, thanks so much for having me. 
You bet. So um, we, we've heard some of the news that's coming out of the um, out of the trial from from yesterday. And um, President Trump blasted Letitia James, as did um, your colleague Alina Haba. And it, it seems like um, a, a fair a fair criticism, uh, both that and for the judge. I think most attorneys and you're the attorney here, not me. Uh, would say that, you know, an officer of the court would not typically criticize a judge. But Alina Haba said that she would not uh, stand for being treated that way by um, by the judge, Arthur Engeron. And I have a quick clip of that audio I'd like to get your reaction to. Listen to this. You have a right to hire a lawyer who can stand up and say something when they see something wrong. But I was told to sit down today. I was yelled at. And I've had a judge who is unhinged slamming a table. Let me be very clear. I don't tolerate that in my life. I'm not going to tolerate it here. And you know what? You shouldn't either. So, again, uh, Alina Haba, uh, civil attorney representing uh, President Trump in this case. Jesse Banal, uh, you've represented the president in the past. When you uh, hear that uh, what what's going on here, does this come as a shock to you? Because I find it kind of out of character for any officer of the court to be banging on the uh, uh, um, you know, other something other than a gavel. Yeah, no, it, it's actually shocking the way that this judge is is behaving himself uh, or failing to behave himself, really, in this case. You know, from the moment, um, really, before that this case opened, you know, um, he's made it clear that Donald Trump didn't have a fair shot in his courtroom. Um, you know, go look, just look at the first day of trial. Where he was hamming it up for the cameras, um, you know, taking his glasses oh, off yeah. and posing. Um, and then, uh, you know, take that to um, what happened this week when the president was on the witness stand. And he's sighing. He's looking up at the ceiling. He's, you know, not listening to answers. He's <laughs> one of my uh, just uh, the craziest thing is when President Trump is explaining that his um golf course in, in Scotland is in the uh, the oil capital of, of Europe, and he says, irrelevant, irrelevant. Um, that's crazy for me that he doesn't understand that property values, um, especially for something like a very high-end golf course, are going to be tied to where, you know, where there is a, a big oil reserve, where people come um, that have a lot of money, quite frankly. Um, this judge should have never been sitting on this case because it's, first of all, it's a case that belonged in the commercial division. But even more important than that, um, this is a judge that has made it very, very clear um, that he has a political interest in this case uh, and that he was not going to treat the parties fairly. Jesse Benal, why is it that this seems very obvious to me and to many of us that are observing this? Why is it that there isn't... Um... I don't know, the same people who took Rudy Giuliani's uh, law license away in New York, uh, are they all completely compromised? Is there not a single person in there that um, is going to stand for the rule of law? Like, why Why is there no accountability for a judge like Engeron? Rules for me, but not for thee, uh, is really what it comes down to, unfortunately, right now, where if you're on the left, you can get away with um, with anything. Um, but if you're on on the right, then you know a completely different set of of laws and and rules is is applied to you, unfortunately, at the moment. And you know the unfortunate thing is is that appellate courts uh, essentially never 
require trial court judges to recuse themselves. Um, it is practically unheard of for a an appellate court to disqualify um, a trial court judge, even though the law requires not only that a judge be impartial, but a judge give the appearance of impartiality. Because if we're going to have a country um, that abides by the rule of law, one of the most important parts of that is a neutral decision maker. And at the moment, you know, people on the left may love what this judge uh, does. People on the right correctly um, hate what this judge does. But I don't think there's anyone in America that believes that this judge is being fair. Yeah, I got to agree with you there. It seems uh, incredibly um, uh, biased uh, from many different perspectives. And and the uh, what I mean, if you, if you can do it in a, a minute or less, if not, we can carry it into the next segment. But why is it that there isn't a jury trial here? Is that something uh, President Trump asked for? Uh, but it it just fell on the, the judge's lap. Is that the way the procedure typically is or is there an option? How does that work? Great question. Um, the attorney general in this case decided to bring this case pursuant to a statute that deprives the defendant of a, of a jury trial. So that's something that where President Trump never, in this case, had the option for a jury trial because of the way that Letitia James in, in her office uh, brought this case. They did it very deliberately. Um, and uh, I mean, especially when they this judge assigned to it, they just, uh, you know, I think they knew that they hit pay dirt and this judge was going to give them whatever they wanted. Wow. All right, folks, we are on with uh, Jesse Banal, uh, Trump attorney. He is a partner with the Banal Law Group, and we're going to continue our conversation with him straight ahead. I also want to get into um, some of the comments from Attorney General uh, Letitia James. I saw an interesting video earlier today uh, put out by the Trump team where you know, she's on TV and she's saying, look, I've I've uh, I did not, he's lying. He's saying I campaigned on running against him. And then it shows like, I don't know, four or five clips strung together of her actively campaigning against him <laughs> and saying she's out to get him. And it, it's just quite a juxtaposition of, of uh, the facts uh, versus her um, inaccuracies, if, if we're going to put it generously. So I want to get uh, into some of her comments again with our guest, Jesse Bunnell. He's an attorney that's represented uh, President Trump. And, of course, your phone calls are welcome as well. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, and we're coming back with Jesse Benal. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back, familia, and we're on with Jesse Bennell. We are discussing uh, the um, reaction to the civil fraud trial for President Trump yesterday in New York City. Uh, led this uh, persecution is led by Attorney General Letitia James and uh, good old Tish James, um, looking a little bit honestly, a little bit heavier than usual. I think she might be doing some stress eating. I hope she's well. But uh, she took to the steps to give her comments, and here's what she had to say. But I will not be bullied. I will not be harassed. This case will go on. We look forward to hearing the testimony of Ivanka Trump on Wednesday, and then we plan on closing our case. Um, and then there will be some motions on Thursday, um, and then uh, the defense will present their case in chief. Um, justice will prevail, and it's important that all of you understand um, that we have already been victorious in our motion for summary judgment, um, and now we look forward to disgorgement and to the remaining counts in our action against Donald Trump and his repeated and consistent fraud against the citizens of the great state of New York. I got to tell you, this woman is somewhat comical, and I want to get Jesse Benal's reaction. But first, I just want to give you a little bit of breaking news. Uh, the United States House of Representatives has just voted to censure Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, uh, has just been uh, censured by her colleagues in uh, the United States House of Representatives. We'll get into that in the next segment. But Jesse Benal, um, swinging back to this, uh, what's your reaction to the attorney general? Well, I mean, this is someone who ran against Donald Trump. Um, she specifically uh, got elected by saying that she was going to to go after and get Trump. Um, it's absolutely um, it's, it's disgusting. That is, uh, uh, we have a justice system where prosecutors are supposed to follow the law and the evidence to do justice, not to get convictions, not to win cases, but to do justice. And when you decide you're going to harass someone based on their politics using the full force of your, your prosecutorial powers, that is absolutely inappropriate. And it's a violation of civil rights and under color of law, um, and uh, which is, is, is criminal. Um, in, in my opinion, what she's doing is, is actually criminal. Um, and um, it's... It, it, as you've pointed out already, um, she's denied uh, campaign uh, to go after President Trump. Of course, uh, you know, the, there's tons of, of video out there that shows that she was doing just that. Oh, yeah. She's definitely on the record. Uh, again, you could be a lying Democrat and still agree that she she's on the record. I think it's going to yeah. be hard to get away from that one. Uh, so, again, uh, same question I had about the judge there. Uh, and I realize she's, um, you know, um, a politician in many ways. Uh, but it, it, what do the people do that are seeking relief or even uh, the defendant here, Trump, uh, in a situation like this? What does he do? Is it just an appeal? Is that the only option he has once this is said and done? Or can he file a complaint, a bar complaint? Uh, what is the, the recourse when somebody goes um, crazy like this, in my opinion, and, and just is really out to get you? Well, so right now in this regime that that we are living under at the moment, there's not a lot you can do, other than uh, you know he, he does have appeals. Um, there's two different levels of appeals in New York State courts, and then there's an appeal to the a possible appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. 
um, that he can he can take because of course as we already know this judge has already made up his mind. Um, so it's, this is going to be a case um, for appeal for sure. But let, let's talk about what really needs to happen in the long run, and that is accountability mm-hmm. for these people that are abusing their their powers. And there are already federal crimes on the books. Um, that would allow these uh, a, a fair and just Department of Justice um, can go after and can prosecute um, people who ha- are abusing their power at the moment to go after their political opponents. And that should be what happens. And, and perhaps more importantly, I think Congress needs to um, uh, increase the, the penalties for using the justice system uh, to go after your, your political opponents. And um, in the long run, that is the answer. And that is something that um, when President Trump is back in office, I have every uh, confidence that he is not interested in unilateral disarmament. He is not interested in um, just saying, well, you know what? The the Democrats have uh, for years now been using their power to go after him and prosecuting uh, their political opponents, but we're just going to let bygones be bygones. Because if we do that, then then they will continue every time they're in power to up the ante. And there's going to be nothing that stops them from putting any of us in, in you know, prison for years or life uh, just for political crimes. And, um, and so what needs to happen, what I have every confidence President Trump is going to do in his next term, is to actually have some, uh, some accountability and to start to, to prosecute uh, uh, anyone who engages in the politicalization of our justice system. Jesse Manal, I want you to stick with us because I just have some questions about the um, the aforementioned testimony of Ivanka Trump that uh, Attorney General James mentioned and what we can expect from that. And I thought that she'd been uh, kind of absolved from having to appear in front of uh, this court, uh, and it seems like that's changed. So I'd like you to give us you know, some analysis on that and, and what your expectation is. Folks, we're coming right back with Jesse Banal, our phone number, 833-482-5337. And, of course, uh, we'll be getting into the um, censure on uh, Rashida Tlaib uh, by Congress uh, just minutes ago. Don't go anywhere. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich Valdez. Stand up to an administration which is too male, too pale, and too stale. Too male, too pale, and too stale. Too male, too pale, and too stale. All right, America, welcome back, amigos. This is, uh, again, another clip from Attorney General uh, Letitia James um, not campaigning against Trump and not sounding like a a radical Marxist with a megaphone in the streets trying to uh, incite a a political political movement against uh, Trump. It's it's just shocking to me that this is even uh, happening. Uh, But that's exactly where we are, and our guest is Jesse Banal. 
And I left off with the question of what we can expect in this trial moving forward, uh, the testimony of Ivanka Trump and uh, the the close of the trial. Jesse Benoff. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, uh, Ivanka uh, Trump is, is going to testify, I, I think, this, this week. I think her testimony is going to be in line with what we've heard um, from everyone else uh, uh, in the Trump organization, um, that there was absolutely nothing um, wrong done in this case. Um, you know, most importantly, this has to do with property valuations for some of the most unique properties in the entire world. Um, they're always difficult to value at a given moment because a property's value at a given moment requires a willing buyer and a willing seller and where they can actually meet at in order to, uh, to, to make a deal. And um, in, in these properties, there's only a handful of people in the entire world um, that would be qualified to, to even buy these properties. Um, so valuation of this is always going to be difficult, which is why um, that the Trump organization has um, these phrases and, and these disclaimers on each of their sheets that, that tell the banks, do your due diligence, don't rely on these. Um, and, you know, you, use the accounting uh, principles that you think are appropriate in order to get to your valuations, which, by the way, is exactly what the banks did. And so they they then came to a fair deal and everybody got paid and and there were never any problems, uh, which, again, is is why um, we, we know for cer- for certain that this is is just simply a. Um, uh, an out of control prosecutor, a, a racist prosecutor, sexist prosecutor, um, who is uh, just just hell bent on getting Donald Trump. Yeah, and, and an ageist as well, right? An ageist, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he, said he was too stale. So, yeah. in looking at that, and in looking at at all of this, right? I, I I've heard uh, President Trump um, mention several times that there's no bank that's party to this that's complaining that they didn't get paid or that they were defrauded in any way. Um, they were, they lent out the money. They did, they did their appraisal and he paid it back. So it's, it's just remarkable to me that I guess without an act of legislation from Albany and state legislators saying, you know, changing the rules of, of how you could kind of bring a case like this, um, there's no recourse for anybody else who might uh, fall victim to the weaponization of Letitia James. No, that's absolutely right. Um, and one thing that I, I think we have seen very clearly in the past few years is that they could go after every single one of us and they are starting to go after every single one of us. Um, and, you know, luckily we have president Trump that's very much standing in the breach for us in these cases right now. And and one of the few people that would have the courage um, to be able to stand up the way that he has, um, because there's so many other people that have uh, been um, uh, absolutely persecuted by this Justice Department out of Washington, mm-hmm. D.C., and by attorney gen- uh, generals like uh, Letitia James. You know, we, and we see the unequal um, application of, of justice where, you know, you can have people that uh, just were, were there to, to protest on January 6th and everyone even in the building who are having their lives destroyed by the Justice Department right now. And then you have, um, you know, insurrectionists, uh, anti-Semitic uh, insurrectionists that are uh, trying to break into the White House, to hop the fence, um, destroying property, destroying statues. 
And you know what? There's no FBI manhunt going on right now. Um, and we mm-hmm. absolutely see at the moment um, that the Justice Department in this country and the justice system has been uh, set loose on um, on America first uh, citizens in our country. It's absolutely inexcusable. Jesse Benal, really well put. Uh, if folks want to follow the work that you're doing and they want to keep up to speed with you, uh, how do they follow you? Um, I'm on uh, True Social and X uh, at jbinall. That's at J-B-I-N-N-A-L-L. You can also find me on Instagram at that same handle. And if uh, they want to check out your website, where do you send them? Uh, you go to www.banal.com. Outstanding. Well, Jesse Benal, I want to thank you for your um, your expert opinion, your analysis on this stuff. Uh, very valuable to, to the audience. And um, looking forward to seeing how the rest of this trial plays out. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Rich. Appreciate you having me. You bet. Godspeed. All right, folks, we're going to get into this. Uh, the censure of Rashida Tlaib over her uh, comments against Israel and uh, and just just amazing that we're even in this position. So uh, stick around. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. On this vote, the yeas are 234 and the nays are 188, with four answering present. The resolution is adopted. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. All right, so uh, the House has uh, censured Rashida Tlaib, Congresswoman, uh, from, where is she from? Let me see. Minnesota. Minnesota. Um, no, she's from Michigan. Michigan. Anyway, um, the um, uh, Ilhan Omar is from Minnesota. And anyway, the uh, House voted to uh, censure Representative Rashida Tlaib uh, just minutes ago, uh, rebuking her for her criticism of Israel following Hamas's unprecedented attack and um, the the House re- reprimand came in at 234 to 188 um, with 22 Democrats, um, let's see, supporting the resolution uh, to censure her. And the Republicans that voted against it were four. So... Uh, the vote has been going on. They've been pushing this. Uh, Republicans have been pushing it uh, for about a week now. And she is the only Palestinian-American serving in Congress. And the, if I'm correct in this, the 26th member of Congress to be uh, censured. So, I, I don't know. I guess uh, this is a moment of, uh, a moment of uh, orgullo, right? Of pride. She should be happy. Anyway, this is um, 
what's going on, but she posted, a, this all comes from her posting a video on Twitter over the weekend that said, uh, President Biden supported the genocide of the Palestinian people. And it included clips of protesters uh, chanting from the river to the sea, which the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, has uh, characterized as an anti-Semitic trope. In uh, other social media posts, um, Congresswoman Tlaib defended her use of this controversial phrase, and I guess she didn't do it well enough. Uh, she was condemned by several of her colleagues on both sides of the aisle, and this ultimately led to Hakeem Jeffries having to issue a statement that, without naming her, criticized her use of the phrase, which he said is widely understood as calling for the complete destruction of Israel and unacceptably risks further polarization, division, and incitement to violence. Uh, despite that, it was only 22 other Democrats that voted to uh, to censure her. So uh, I, I think it's uh, it could have been worse, right? It could have been worse. Anyway, um, that's the story with uh, Rashida Tlaib. Now, the um, resolution was sponsored by Representative Rich McCormick from Georgia. He's been on this program a couple of times. Great guy. He's the, he's a, the guy that served uh, overseas in combat and uh, was on the front line as a medical doctor during COVID. And he's accused uh, Tlaib of promoting false narratives regarding the October 7th attack by Hamas on Israel and for calling for the destruction of the state of Israel, referencing her use of that um, social media video. So um, there you have it. It's actually happened. Uh, I, I thought we wouldn't see a day where these people would be held accountable. And of course, this doesn't do anything. They don't lose any money. They're not going to lose their job. They're not going to lose anything other than, you know, a little bit of a black guy in the media uh, for five minutes, and then that's that. But it's on the record, and it's on the record forever. And I think that's part of what's important to people when they when they pass on and they leave uh, a legacy, right? Her legacy is going to be the one that I'm the congresswoman from, from um, Michigan that got censured. So uh, kudos to you, congresswoman. There you go. Anyway, let's see. There is more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue uh, with our conversation. We're going to talk about, let's see here, how Democrats employ mafia and gangster tactics to gain and hold power. Well, man, that's an excellent topic <laughs> because let me tell you, that seems to be what happens uh, more often than not. And uh, we're going to have that conversation with Vince Everett Ellison. Uh, he's uh, the author of that book and uh, former congressional candidate from South Carolina. So we'll have that discussion with him. Then a little bit later on, we'll have uh, a live report from the uh, senior contributing editor of the Jewish News Syndicate, uh, Caroline Glick, who'll be calling us uh, with an update on what's going on in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. So, folks, don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. I am Rich Valdez, and we're coming back with your calls and more. 833-482-5337-833-4. Valdez.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, we're doing some election coverage tonight, as well as uh, what's going on in Congress. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And there's a couple of things that I want to look at here. Uh, Of course, we have... A bunch of different races across the country. Uh, In Kentucky, Governor Andy Beshear, a Democrat, has defeated Republican State Attorney General uh, Daniel Cameron, a great candidate, by the way. And they've also defended the state's abortion ban. Abortion seems to have won across the board tonight. I don't see any uh, instances where it lost, which uh, says a lot, just says a lot. It's, It's my opinion that um, I am, I am pro-life, but I feel like I am in the minority, like I do with a lot of my opinions, honestly. <laughs> and and it seems that m- most people, uh, again, I am on the East Coast, um, New York, New Jersey, but most people that I meet really favor abortion. They really do. It's a strongly held belief for most people. And for them, it's as simple as saying, you know, I'm just not going to have the government tell me what I can and can't do with my body. And that's it. It ends there. And uh, they're rarely persuaded. Every now and again, you'll see somebody that does get persuaded. uh, And it just, you know, I always take note of things like that. And I say, you know, we've got to either become more effective in our approach or more effective in deciding what we're going to approach. And. Uh, thankfully, the Roe versus Wade uh, was overturned, but now we're seeing it happen at the statewide level in as many places as they can. They're putting all sorts of um, uh, abortion regulations into play. So that's what's going on in Kentucky. And uh, we've got a cut of Governor Bashir taking his victory lap, uh, being cautious not to break his arm while patting himself on the back. Check it out. And tonight... The people of Kentucky elected me as just the third two consecutive term governor in our history. But folks, this wasn't my win. This was our victory. It was a victory that sends a loud, clear message a message that candidates should run for something and not against someone. Uh, Of course, that's uh, Governor Bashir, a Democrat, uh, claiming victory and taking a final shot there at his opponent, uh, Daniel Cameron. Uh, Interestingly, the rest of the candidates on the down ballot, um, they won. Uh, This was just a, a sheer instance of a lot of money being pumped into the campaign. And... And this guy being a good enough, good enough politician to pull it off. So 
that's the case there. Of course, we have Daniel Cameron as well uh, conceding in this race. Check this out. We'll return to trying to be the hands and feet of Christ. I know that you all will as well. We'll try to instill those principles in Theodore and the child that will be named at some point. We're still trying to figure that name out. That's uh, Daniel Cameron. Uh, again, fantastic candidate. I hope he doesn't lose heart. I hope he continues and uh, stays the course uh, because obviously um, the guy has a bright future ahead of himself. And in Mississippi, Governor Tate Reeves, a Republican, is running against Democrat, Democrat Brandon Presley. Um, we, uh, I don't know, if, I don't think I have an update on that one yet. Uh, we've also got uh, in Ohio, the voters chose to include access to abortion in the state constitution. And they're also going to legalize recreational marijuana. Both of these amendments only require a 50% threshold after voters rejected a measure earlier this year that would raise that threshold. And in Virginia, the uh, state Senate and assembly had their elections tonight where Democrats, um, I believe held control and there's uh, a chance that they may potentially retake the house of delegates. So, uh, interesting how it plays out. Um, we, you know, a lot of, uh, upsets here. We're looking at a lot of, again, I didn't see any polling on these races, but, um, this is why I think, uh, over the last few days we've talked about, you know, all these polls that show Trump up and, you know, I think that they're, they're pretty valid. But they're not things that we could hang our hat on. And we have to play like we're behind. Because otherwise, this is what happens. A, um, I'm not going to call it a blue wave, but definitely not a huge night for Republicans or for pro-lifers. And that means there's more work afoot. That's the reality. And uh, making sure we keep our finger on the pulse. Now, I want to um, shift gears a little bit. And in New Jersey, there's also a bunch of uh, legislative elections. Uh, I don't think there's going to be any major change there in the balance of power. Democrats will retain control of the state Senate and uh, the state assembly. But there's a handful of races, not many predictable ones that I could see. But the um, handful of Republicans that are in New Jersey are likely going to be reelected because they're in districts that are pretty solid. And uh, the Virginia House of Delegates uh, has now gone Democrat. So there you have it. That's the the latest update there. I'll continue to bring you that stuff uh, and more straight ahead. I also want to give you just an update on Representative Rashida Tlaib. She was uh, censured in the House of Representatives today. And uh, I want you to hear earlier today in uh, the debate on whether or not they should um, offer this type of uh, reprimand to her. And we have that audio as well that we'll get to momentarily. Plus, your phone calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. 
is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And, of course, I played it for you earlier in the, in the previous hour, but I can repeat it for you that the House of Representatives has uh, voted to uh, censure Representative Rashida Tlaib of Michigan. Uh, here's a, a quick uh, clip from that vote. On this vote, the yeas are 234 and the nays are 188, with four answering present. The resolution is adopted. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. Okay, so that happened. But again, this that happened, I don't know, maybe about 30, 40 minutes ago, if that. Uh, maybe, yeah, like 30 minutes ago. The uh, What happened earlier was her um, making the plea, her and all of her friends. You have her, Ilhan Omar, Cory Bush, everybody was chiming in. Uh, but uh, she was on the floor of the House today um, crying while speaking during the debate on her censure resolution because of her anti-Semitism. Listen to this. I can't believe I have to say this, but pa- Palestinian people are not disposable. Yeah, no kidding, lady. Unbelievable. Take a breath. And carry on. Right. We got it. We got it. We are human beings. Just like anyone else. My city, my grandmother, like all Palestinians, just wants to live her life with freedom and human dignity we all deserve. Speaking up to save lives, Mr. Chair, no matter faith, no matter ethnicity, should not be controversial in this chamber. The cries of the Palestinian and ch- Palestinian and Israeli children sound no different to me. Why? What? I don't understand. Is why the cries of Palestinians sound different to you all. We cannot lose our shared humanity, Mr. Chair. Pause it for a second. Oh, never mind. Okay. I was going to jump in here and say, um, who's losing their humanity? Uh, again, I, I, this is the, the, the demagoguery that I just can't stand. And it typically just always comes from the left. Uh, I, I just, I mean, how do you stomach this? You know, they're, they're upset with her because of a comment that she made, a video that she shared that said, from the river to the sea, Palestine has to be free. That the Anti-Defamation League and nearly two dozen members of, of her caucus, uh, along with tons of other people, believe that that commentary calls for the elimination of the state of Israel, which I think is not being debated in any way. So why, why is she making this about the cries of Palestinian children um, versus Israeli children? Who's asking? They're, they're, they're faulting her for putting a video that calls for the elimination of an entire state. So the apples and the oranges don't match. The math doesn't make sense here. She's clearly just trying to run away from the issue. And uh, I'd love to get your um, your thoughts on this. Uh, let's uh, go to some calls. We've got Kevin in Florida 
in the Panhandle area on WDBT. Kevin, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, I was just on the way home listening to the program, and I agree 100%. Um, we all know that Hamas uh, is the aggressor, and we don't need to talk about the disgusting things that they uh, perpetrated on Israeli grandmothers and babies and small children, of which they're still holding hostages. So, you know, again, like you said, uh, she is, in my opinion, overstating the obvious that, yes, it's about humanity, but it is, again, exactly that point. It's about all humanity. So when you make statements like from the river to the sea, which calls for the annihilation of a certain race, just because of their race. All right. I think we lost Kevin. But yeah, I agree with you, Kevin, in, in so much as what you were saying. Um, it, it makes sense to me that this is, again, this wasn't arbitrary. This wasn't like, I think what you said is mean. Uh, this is the Anti-Defamation League, which is not a conservative think tank or, or a legal group. Not at all. This is, uh, they're as left-leaning as they come. But even they acknowledge that this is not right. So, of course, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Unbelievable. Um, Great call. I appreciate the call from WDBT. And let's continue. Let's go to Jim Las Cruces, New Mexico, K-O-B-E. Jim, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hi, Rich. Hi, Rich. I, I voted two weeks ago, early voting in Las Cruces, and you. I went into the precinct or whatever they call it here, and I was the only voter there. There was nobody else, and everybody in there looked bored, and they were so happy to see me. But then uh, um, one guy didn't look happy because, you know, I'm standing around wearing my Calvary Chapel T-shirt. and uh, um, They figured you out. They... Uh, they had me um, do a give me a ballot. I'm supposed to fill it front and back by you know coloring uh, little dots. And I go. They lead me over to the reader, and they have me uh, put the ballot in the in the in the feed uh, slot in the reading machine, and it kept jamming every time, like. Mm. And at the time, I didn't want to get sound too paranoid to them, but I kept thinking about, you know, Arizona where Kerry Lakes, all the people that, that voted for Kerry Lake, their ballots were the wrong size paper, and they kept jamming every time. And all the time, the lady's getting very apologetic, and she's saying, oh, this has never happened before. You're the first person that's ever had a, a ballot jam in him, on him. And I, and I can't keep, uh, so then... They took me to another little machine, and it accepted that. But according to them, I am the only person that they ever had to do that with. And they'd <laughs> already had a couple, almost a couple of weeks of voting already, because they did really voted early this year. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I've, uh, so I'll tell you a quick story. So I voted today um, in New Jersey almost at like 8 p.m., and the voting machine that I've used for probably 
all the years I've lived in North Jersey here, uh, at least in this area, um, it's changed. Uh, we always had a, a different voting machine, I think a Diebold machine. Uh, this year we had a Dominion machine, and it was a different process. And they give you a, uh, a signature card as well as a key card, like a little plastic credit card. Uh, and they also give you a uh, one more form, like a, like a barcode scan paper that comes out of the book when you sign in. And you go into the booth, you cast your ballot, and then your ballot prints out on paper. And similar to what you were describing, then you got to take that paper across the room to a scanning machine, put it in, and it scans your ballot, and then it keeps your ballot. So you have your actual paper ballot that you you physically see after you cast your vote on it, and then you put it in the machine, which hopefully is counting exactly what's on that paper. It did not jam up for me. Uh, it, It seemed to work just fine. But I could see how that might become a problem at some point. You know, like something could jam if you get the wrong paper, et cetera, kind of what you're talking about. So, um, yeah, I could see that happening. But I can tell you it's the first time I've ever used a Dominion machine. And um, so far, so good. It was simple to use. And it it seemed pretty secure in so much as uh, I was in charge of printing it and putting it into the lockbox. So, Jim in Las Cruces, New Mexico, thank you very much. I appreciate your call. And, folks, we're going to come back to the rest of your calls and more uh, momentarily. And we also have Open Phone America that's coming up. But um, I want to make sure you have the number, 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. And uh, keep it locked right here. I'm trying to keep my eyes peeled for all of the uh, election information that's coming in. Uh, We're expecting a phone call with uh, Carolyn Glick uh, from the Jewish News Syndicate to give us an update on what's going on in Israel. She's uh, located in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere. President Biden has said that it would be a mistake for Israel to occupy Gaza. Who should govern Gaza when this is over? Those who don't want to uh, continue the way of Hamas, it certainly is not. uh, uh, I think Israel will, for uh, uh, an indefinite period, will have the overall uh, security responsibility because we've seen what happens when we don't have it. When we don't have that security responsibility, what we have is the eruption of uh, Hamas terror on a scale that we couldn't imagine. That is Israeli uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, on uh, World News Tonight with David Muir and um, reiterating that Israel would need to maintain the security responsibility for Gaza for an indefinite time once uh, Hamas is eradicated. And I want to get an update on what's going on in Gaza uh, from someone who's joined us before, and she was absolutely uh, terrific, senior contributing editor at the Jewish News Syndicate, uh, also a senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy 
Caroline Glick, host of the Caroline Glick Show, and she's with us now live from Jerusalem. Caroline Glick, welcome back. Thanks so much for having me back on your show, Rich. Oh, you bet. Now, you, you just heard a clip of uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, indicating that Israel would likely maintain control over Gaza uh, once this moves forward. Um, what's your sense of the uh, the will for something like that on the ground? Um, I think that uh, Israel, uh, Israeli society, the people of Israel are resolved that indeed, uh, uh, just as Prime Minister Netanyahu said, that's what we expect to happen as well. We recognize that you know, there, there's no way uh, to allow, um, or there's no way to peacefully coexist or to exist in it with any modicum of safety um, in Israel when you have a regime uh, controlled by a genocidal uh, terrorist organization that seeks our annihilation uh, on our border. And so uh, the choice is um, between us and them, and we choose us. Nothing wrong with that. Thanks. Now, I don't think so either. I, I want to get your, um, your take on um, the news that just broke a little while ago that uh, Congresswoman... Um, Rashida Tlaib, who um, who was crying in Congress earlier today because she says that Palestinian people are not disposable. Uh, she was censured by the United States House of Representatives about maybe 40 minutes ago. Uh, what's your reaction to that? Well, I think it's good. I think, uh, you know, she said so many deeply uh, uh, hateful things about Jewish people since she was elected. Uh, that uh, I guess it's a long time in coming, but she richly deserved to be censured. And I was glad to see as well that 22 Democrats also voted in favor of the measure because this is a woman who supports the eradication of the Jewish state. She stands with Hamas. She's always stood with Hamas. Um, and anybody else who happens to be uh, uh, actively killing Jews uh, in Israel at any given moment. So I think it's a shame that you have a Hamas caucus on Capitol Hill. She's mm-hmm. one of the leaders of it. And uh, I'm glad that at least uh, the, the uh, overwhelming majority of the representatives of the American people are actually acting, you know, in what seems to be uh, in alignment completely with their constituents who support Israel and certainly don't agree with uh, Congresswoman Clyde that it's a good idea uh, for the Jewish people and the Jewish state to be eradicated. Yeah, unfortunately. And, folks, we're on with uh, Caroline Glick, senior contributing editor at the Jewish News Syndicate and host of the Caroline Glick Show. She's also a senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy. Uh, Caroline Glick, we also have um, some audio from Representative Ilhan Omar on the floor of the House of Representatives today. Um Restating the obvious that Palestinians are dying. I want to get your reaction to that and more when we come back. Our phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
is true here is that every single one of them has not acknowledged the fact that Palestinians are dying in the tens of thousands, but will continue to say it is us who are not acknowledging humanity. Rashida will stand strong. Gentle ladies, time has expired. The movement will continue for liberation until every Gentle single ladies, time has expired. has the right Ge to gentleman from Maryland liberty. is recognized. Okay, so that, of course, is uh, Representative Ilhan Omar, who famously uh, said some people did something when she was talking about the terrorists of September 11th. And uh, as a New Yorker, I've always taken exception to that. Um, and I want to, um, you know, really focus on her comments here because her comments are that uh, Palestinians are, in fact, dying tens of thousands, but will continue to say it is us who are not acknowledging humanity. Rashida will stand up strong and the Palestinian movement will continue for liberation. And these are, you know, and she's shouting at the top of her lungs. And um, earlier, our guest, Caroline Glick, mentioned the Hamas caucus. I would say that's definitely another member of the Hamas caucus. Uh, Caroline Glick is senior contributing editor at the Jewish News Syndicate, senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy and host of the Caroline Glick show. Caroline Glick, um, what's your reaction to the comments from Congresswoman Ilhan Omar? I think that they're disgusting. First of all, there aren't tens of thousands of Palestinians dying in Gaza. I mean, the, the uh, unimaginably stupid, or not stupid, unimaginably false uh, numbers that are being put out by Hamas that uh, doubles as the Gaza Health Ministry talked about there being 10,000. But uh, she's saying tens of thousands. So first of all, that's a that's a big lie. Uh, amazingly, she's even more extreme than Hamas. Second of all, you know Hamas's numbers have zero credibility. We've seen this uh, act being played out uh, for 30 years. Um, in the Janine uh, battle of 2002, they said that Israel had killed uh, 500 civilians, and it worked out that uh, when all the bodies were counted, there had been 50 people killed. And 30 of them were were terrorists. So uh, on the Palestinian side, and we had 22 uh, soldiers that were killed uh, in the battle. So, I mean, I, I think that the fact that the international media and actually many governments in the world are using data that's self-evidently false because of its source and because we've seen nobody uh, to, attesting to that fact in any physical way, that they're being parroted by governments and by news sources all over the world is a testament to the lack of professionalism. And as to the rest of her comments, you know, in World War II, there were over 4 million Germans who were killed in the war, and there were only 325,000 Brits and another 300,000 or so Americans. Does that mean that the Germans were the good guys in the war? Does that mean that the Americans and the British were wrong to be fighting the Nazis or defeating them? because 4 million Germans were killed and only a few hundred thousand uh, British and Americans were? I mean, the whole, the whole arithmetic of dead is, is used in order to manipulate, not to communicate. It's used in order to exploit people's natural desire to see people live and sanctify life on behalf of a death cult that... Uh, that laughs at us because we sanctify life when they sanctify death. So the whole, the whole discourse is based on falsehoods and a distortion of the basic human values that we all share.
just like everything Hamas does. Yeah, great point, Carolyn Glick. And, you know, um, the White House has also um, rejected this claim of 10,000 uh, dead and is not accepting that number uh, as well. So I think that's important to note. If Biden won't even agree to it, you know that they're full of it. And uh, and the, the list of people went on and on. But, Carolyn Glick, I, w- I really want to get a sense uh, from you over what what you're what you're experiencing, what you're seeing on the ground. I know you're based out of Jerusalem. Uh, what's the current situation like? I mean, this is a time of high anxiety for all of us here in Israel. Um, we're all in, still uh, in uh, a state of extreme grief and sorrow and shock over what happened uh, last month. Uh, we've never experienced slaughter. Uh, at this level in the state of Israel, we haven't seen anything like this since the Holocaust. Uh, and the uh, utter sadism of uh, the act, the brutality, the monstrousness, the scale, the dimensions, um, are something that, uh, as Prime Minister Netanyahu said in uh, his interview to, to World News Tonight on ABC, uh, are, were unimaginable. And uh, so we're still in... Uh, deep shock over that, um, but we have over 300,000 of our reservists who have been called up. Everybody has a son or a husband or brother uh, or a sister who is fighting uh, today, and um, and so it's, uh, but we have a sense of utter resolution and resolve here in Israel that uh, left to right uh, that we simply have to see this through. We have to eradicate Hamas. And we see that the IDF is making very good progress, and they're progressing deliberately. We've cut Gaza into two. We've had thousands of Palestinians uh, uh, marching to the south uh, to get out of harm's way yesterday. And before that, um, Hamas had been blocking people from leaving, killing people, trying to leave uh, to intimidate the rest of them not to, um, and using people, of course, part of their doctrine is to use their own civilians as human shields, and they're proud that they do that. So the fact that we're seeing people leave means that it seems to indicate that Hamas's uh, control uh, is um, is weakening significantly, and that's good. Uh, so we're heartened by our progress, uh, but obviously we have a lot of work to do ahead of us. Sure. Understood. Folks, we're on with Caroline Glick with a live report from Jerusalem. Uh, She's a senior contributing editor at Jewish News Syndicate and senior fellow at the Center for Security Policy. She's also host of the Caroline Glick Show, and she's coming right back with us. Uh, Don't go anywhere. Here's the phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night. With Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. night with rich valdez 
All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Caroline Glick, senior contributing editor at the Jewish News Syndicate. And uh, I want to quickly go to a caller in Burlington, Vermont, WVMT. John, you're on with Caroline Glick and Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Well, thank you for taking my call. A comment, then a question for your guests. My comment is that, unfortunately, you know, the situation, there's no justification for what happened with Hamas's uh, attack. Uh, but what's happening now is that there's going to be a whole new generation of terrorists who will be uh, a plague for for decades to come based on what has happened. Um, I don't see where Israel had any other uh, option to do what they're doing, but the reality is is that these young Palestinians are going to remember this, and this is only going to continue to be uh, happening your question? for a very long time. My question for your guests is, uh, uh, who do you think is to blame for the security breach that allowed Hamas to uh, do what they did? All right, John, thank you. Caroline? I um, Well, you know, I think, uh, just to his comment, first of all, um, I think our sense is not that we have to uh, convince the Palestinians to be um, liberal Democrats. I think that what we saw on October 7th, and obviously what we've been seeing for 100 years of Palestinian terrorism and 30 years of Hamas terrorism specifically, is that the most important thing is, um, or the main thing that we can do, and probably the most important thing, is not to change the hearts and minds, but to prevent them from having the means to hurt us. Assuming, I mean, I, I don't think that people are going to be doubling down on their bloodlust. I think that they have it, and I think that there's a problem uh, with the nature of Palestinian society because it's uh, it, it professes to be a death cult, wants to be a death cult, uh, praises itself for being such a death cult, uh, all in the service of the, annihilating the Jewish people. Unfortunately, they also mobilize a lot of people to support them because of that. Um, and so Israel's job is simply to deny them the means uh, to ever hurt us again, including, you know, with, with rocks. And that's the purpose of this operation. That's the purpose. That's the goal of this war. And that's what we're pursuing, is simply to deny them the ability to defeat us. And as to who is responsible for what happened on October 7th from the Israeli side in terms of the intelligence breakdown, I mean, I think in, in, in a manner that's similar, although not identical, to the situation that preceded 9-11, what the 9-11 Commission referred to as a failure of the imagination, that uh, over time we had been lulled into a sense of complacency where we forgot the nature of our enemy, where we forgot what it says in the Hamas Covenant, where they call for the utter annihilation of every Jew on the face of the planet. We forgot that this is actually important to them. And, uh, and, we, uh, and we convinced ourselves that if they have economic prosperity, uh, that that's going to change their hearts and minds and that we can leave the guns in their hands. And what we found is that they really, I mean, they don't care that to, if they live in a garbage can. They don't care if Gaza is reduced to rubble. They don't care that their their, fam, their families and their people suffer. They say that. You know, Ismail Haniya, the head of Hamas, said it, uh, that the purpose of the, the job of the people who live in Gaza is to protect the resistance is to act as human shields so that they can kill more Jews. So we just have to deny them the ability to do that, and we have to listen to them much more than we did in the past. The failure of imagination, so to speak, is due to the fact that we're just not listening to them. All right. And the Associated Press is reporting that the fighting 
in Hamas is now deep in Gaza City, uh, IDF, uh, anticipating control of of most of the of that region. Um, what's your sense of what's going on? Are we nearing the end? Are we just making way? What's your thought? Well, like I said, we're proceeding with deliberate um, uh, pace, and we're making progress. Uh, we've made a lot of progress. Um, our, our soldiers are, in fact, uh, surrounding uh, the central parts of Gaza uh, City and encircling the 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 uh, tunnel complex, essentially, where Hamas has its control, command and control and probably the bulk of their fighters, from what I, I understand. Um, but they're all underground. They, uh, they all operate in a tunnel complex whose epicenter is Shifa Hospital, uh, which, of course, is in of itself a war crime because they've located all of their major military installations on top of schools and hospitals and other uh, civilian uh, landmarks, and so uh, we've been encircling Shifa Hospital. We've been moving closer and closer to it, and again, it's it's not a hospital. It's Hamas's command and control that's covered by a hospital. Uh, the UAE uh, sent a field hospital uh, that Israel is setting up in the south uh, so that we'll be able to transport uh, the, the sick from, there are actually three hospitals that all of Hamas's command and control is located underneath or inside of. And so the idea, I, I understand, is to move the sick um, down south and be able to enter into these um, uh, these uh, hives um, yeah. with our soldiers. Now, Caroline Glick, I want you to let the audience know how they can uh, follow the work that you're doing, how they could check out your program. Oh, thanks so much. So, uh, as you said, I'm the uh, senior contributing editor of JNS.org, JewishNewsSyndicate.org, and my work appears there along with a pretty comprehensive news coverage of everything that's happening here. Uh, and also on my website, CarolynGlick.com. You can also follow me uh, at JNS TV or The Carolyn Glick Show on YouTube and on Rumble and all of the major podcasts to listen to my program, which we're broadcasting now. Uh, Outstanding, Caroline Glick. Thank you. It's Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, welcome, it's the Tuesday night edition of the program, Election Night. Uh, We've been discussing some of the races that uh, went down across the country tonight. So far, it doesn't look like a ton of wins for Republicans. Uh, I can expect the Democrats are going to be jumping on Joe Biden's coattails. Uh, he took to Twitter right away to say MAGA lost, democracy won, and he's already trying to ride this wave 
uh, trying to create momentum for himself. And the reality is abortion had a great night tonight. Uh, the pro-lifers did not have a great night tonight. And if that's any, any indication of what Biden 2024 looks like, Biden 2024 um, might be more successful than many of us think. We've got to work harder. We've got to work harder. Anyway, uh, that's uh, part of what's going on there. We also have uh, Representative Rashida Talib. She's been, um, or Talib, I can never say that right. She's been uh, censured uh, by her colleagues in Congress for her anti-Semitism. And uh, we've got a couple of other things uh, on deck over here. Um, but I want to go to um, a, a clip of the audio of the vote that, in effect, happened probably now about an hour, hour and ten minutes ago, um, where Congresswoman uh, Tlaib was uh, censured. Listen to this roll call vote. On this vote, the yeas are 234 and the nays are 188, with four answering present. The resolution is adopted. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. So that is the the vote. And, of course, uh, Representative Tlaib was on the... Uh, floor of the house today, uh, crying, taking long pauses, sniffling, making all sorts of sounds, um, claiming that this was, um, not about her anti-Semitism, but this was about the Palestinian people being, uh, expendable. Of course, I think that's, um, ill-placed, but, uh, her, Ilhan Omar and, uh, their good friend, Cory Bush, who some call the Hamas caucus, uh, of Congress, uh, had, have all made their comments today. And uh, I want you to listen to Representative Cory Bush on the floor of the House today saying that Representative Tlaib should not be censured because Congress once enslaved black people. Yep. Yep. That's how it went down. Listen to this. It's outrageous that my colleagues are blatantly, blatantly attempting to silence the only Palestinian American representative right here. Um, it's outrageous, but it's not surprising. And let me tell you, it's not surprising because this place is where 1,700 members of Congress, this elected body, enslaved black people. It's not surprising because they thought it was right. It's not surprising because this is a place where members continue to claim that the insurrection on the Capitol just appeared to look like a normal tourist visit. It's not surprising because this is the place where our black and brown staff members repeatedly speak of experiencing racism and sexism, Islamophobia, get pushed off of elevators, xenophobia and more right here in this workplace. This is the place. And let me say this. She mourns for the 1,400 Israelis. She mourns for the 10,000 and she will not stop. No more. No more. Cease fire now. And she takes the, the death threats that you all send. That, that the gentlelady is no longer speak. recognized. The gentleman from Maryland. Gentlemen from Maryland is recognized. Now, I want to point something out to you because these people, when they go on their rants, they're all very similar. Now, that was Representative Cori Bush. Uh, and if you could keep up with everything she was saying, I mean, I only caught every third word, but... Uh, she said, it's not surprising because this is the place where 1,700 members of Congress, this elected body, enslaved black people. This is why they're censuring um, Rashida Tlaib. 
because 1,700 members of Congress, I guess I just don't get it. <laughs> they somehow enslaved black people. It's not surprising because they thought it was right. I'm reading the transcript. It's not surprising because this is a place where members continue to claim that the insurrection on the Capitol looked like a normal tourist visit. Now, if you'll entertain me, I just want to point something out. Um, I want you to listen to a little bit of the clip of Representative Rashida Tlaib on the floor. I played it earlier. I just want you to hear it again. On the floor of the House today, where she started crying while speaking during the debate on her uh, censure for anti-Semitism. Listen to this. I can't believe I have to say this, but Palestinian people are not disposable. Now, of course, here she's gathering her thoughts for theatrical effect, for performance art. She's breathing heavy, doing what she does. You know, hoping we somebody are human will pat her on the shoulder. Just like anyone else, my city, my grandmother, like all Palestinians, just wants to live her life with freedom and human dignity we all deserve. All right, so that's a quick clip from Rashida Tlaib, right? So yeah, this is a very emotionally charged. She references her grandmother. She's you know, uh, crying throughout the whole thing. Um, freedom, dignity, blah, 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 right? My city, my city. Okay, thank you. Um, now, I want you to hear Ilhan Omar and, and listen to the emotionalism in this uh, clip from her. Go right ahead. They have a white... What is true here is that every single one of them has not acknowledged the fact that Palestinians are dying in the tens of thousands, but will continue to say it is us who are not acknowledging humanity. Rashida will stand strong. Gentle ladies, time has expired. movement will continue for liberation. All right, so that is her. And again, you hear it. She sounds like a, like a preacher from down mouth. The Palestinian movement will continue. Right? Uh, very emotional. Again, a lot of emotionality. Now, uh, back to the Cori Bush that we just heard. Um, and you're not going to hear it all, but I just want you to see the similarities in the way they deliver their messages. Listen to Cori Bush. It's outrageous that my colleagues are blatantly, blatantly attempting to silence the only Palestinian American representative right here. Um, it's outrageous, but it's not surprising. And let me tell you, it's not surprising because this place is where 1,700 members of Congress, this elected body, enslaved black people. It's not surprising because they thought it was right. It's not surprising because this is a place where members continue to claim that the insurrection on the Capitol disappeared to look like a normal tourist visit. It's Okay, so there you go. Now you got uh, Representative Cory Bush, um, uh, again, uh, sounding like a preacher out there uh, with the same type of cadence and, and hyper-emotionality. And it makes me think, why is this happening? How does this happen? Well, because this is how they, they train them, right? This is how they're trained when they're training young activists. Now, I want you to hear some young activists at a Manhattan private school and these kids are off the chains, right? These are a couple of, um, for the sake of, you don't have the video, uh, but these girls appear to be um, South Asian, maybe India. And uh, they're having a debate. And, and, and if you can keep up 
I'll, I'll sign one of my uh, liberty-loving Latino amigo hats, and I'll, I'll mail it to you because I can barely keep up with any of this stuff. But I want you to give a listen to this. It's, this might make your head spin if you're driving. Keep both hands on the wheel. They have a white debater on their team, which inherently means they have more whiteness than us. We obviously know that JJ is not white. It's pretty obvious. Go down onto our pick. We give you three words why we subsume all of their protests and affirm their protests. In a pick, what it means is you are furthering their cause just minus the whiteness. As Rebecca is a vehicle for this movement, we say whiteness means really bad for representation and queer people, and it's a bad form of furthering this protest. The best way to further the protest is to vote for our pick and to affirm it, but minus the whiteness. They say that we're taking over... JJ's labor, but first, this is a new response. If they read this response before, we probably would have read a cap pay about how you can't like use labor across identity lines. That's a really bad thing to do. Second, how picks work is you affirm their protest. We're not taking over their labor. It's just a technicality of debate. Then they say that it's trans exclusion. No, couple responses that they dropped from Sanji. One, our constructive speech was about personal experiences, about our identity. We are not comfortable discussing our sexuality on a live stream with 130 people. Second, we say that like um, them telling us how we should represent our advocacy feeds into our link about racism because a white person and someone on a white team should never be telling two women of color how they should be furthering their advocacy. That's an independent link into our whiteness argument that gets dropped. You can drop them right now. They say we should have read things about the, about the hall of shame. It's an identity case. We are not trans debaters. We don't, don't want to do that. Also, they don't put anything about women of color or queer women of color in their case, which means they also link it to the exclusion. There's no independent offense off of this. Okay. Again, I just heard the same thing I heard from Cori Bush, from Rashida Tlaib, and from um, Ilhan Omar, from uh, these kids at the uh, debate club uh, discussing racism and anti-trans uh, exclusion and uh, uh, somebody that's being overtly white and bringing whiteness into their argument. I mean, I've got to tell you, this is the craziest stuff I've ever heard. It really does... Uh, kind of um, shock me. Um, it does shock me that we have so many people that really buy into this type of thinking. I, I Listen, for descriptive purposes, for humor, for whatever, I might reference my ethnicity from time to time, but I don't really live life like making sentences like, as, as, a, as an American of Puerto Rican descent, you know, I, I just don't live my life looking through the lens of racism uh, or or anything like that or ethnocentrism. I just I just doesn't matter to me. And and I'm just always amazed when I see how much it matters to everyone else. When you literally shut down an argument by saying, well, your 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 arguments based on on whiteness, you're injecting whiteness into the argument. Uh, that's just crazy to me. I mean, it's just crazy. It. it I, I don't know how to justify it. I mean, I, I've heard the justification, and I think it's just asinine. But there are people out there that believe you can only be racist if you're being racist against uh, blacks because nobody can really be racist against whites because they're in the majority. And, you know, so thinking has been warped, definitions have been changed, and there's a lot of work out there. And, again, these activists are being trained and they all sound like they went to the same school where you yell like this and you yell like that and you bring in some hyper-emotionality and talk about racism and talk about whatever. They were supposed to be talking about why Rashida Tlaib shouldn't be censured and ended up being a, a conversation on race, right? So it's just absolutely uh, astonishing to me. It really is. But that's where we are. Folks, your calls and more straight ahead. And I got a couple of other uh, audio clips I want to play for you. Don't go anywhere. 
This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. abortion is so important. And so we've been completely straightforward and clear. I will back a bill to protect life at 15 weeks. We will make sure that that people understand that's when a baby feels pain. And that's where we can come together as Virginians with full exceptions in the case of rape and incest and when a mother's life is at risk. The other side wants to extend abortion all the way up through and including birth. And we all remember the former governor who said they'll keep a child comfortable until we decide whether they live or die. This is a choice between no limits and reasonable limits. Well, you know, Governor, that the, the Democrats, what they say is the Republicans want to restrict your right to an abortion. Well, that's because that's all they've got. That's right. I mean, they sell fear. That's all they have. They have no plan to create jobs, no plan for excellence in education, no plan for families and parents, no plan for making communities safer, no plans for transforming behavioral health. We've delivered on every single one of them. All they have is fear. We're the party of hope. Yep. They're the party of fear. And hope beats fear every day. That is Governor Glenn Youngkin on Fox and Friends earlier today. And lamentably, he said it would be um, a choice between no limits and reasonable limits. Uh, looks like no limits won with um, the Virginia House of Delegates going into Democrat control, Republicans losing their edge there. And. Uh, it's unfortunate, but that is where we are with the with the outcomes of the elections that were held today. Let's see. There's a couple of updates here. I'm refreshing my page. Uh, Tate Reeves, Republican, uh, won the race for governor of Mississippi. Uh, we've also got, let's see, um, Mississippi County Election Commissioner says turnout contributed to ballot issues. An election commissioner in Mississippi County uh, was ordered to keep polls open past regular hours after they ran out of ballots and the impact of the shortages is still being assessed. Uh, The Hines County Courthouse, Hines County District 3 election commissioner, Jermall Clark, said he could not provide an immediate count of how many precincts were affected or how short they were on ballots. So it, it continues to happen uh, that we run out of ballots. Like they don't know how many citizens they have plus an extra, whatever, 10% for, you know, people that are not registered, newly registered, just moved to town, want to vote provisionally. I mean, how do you just run out of ballots? You know, you have a book that tells you who lives in town. Unbelievable. So then if somebody says this is fake, it's phony, it's fraud, they're, they're the bad guy. They're the tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists. Because, you know, you as an election official don't know how many people um, actually are going to be voting in your district where you know how many people are registered. (laughs) Just bizarre to me. Uh, 
Presley concedes in Mississippi. Governor race Democrat Brandon Presley conceded. So we have that Republican win uh, for Tate Reeves. And uh, and he's not been the most popular uh, Republican governor, but he's the one that won. The daughter of Antonin Scalia, uh, former Supreme Court uh, justice, um, lost her um, her race, or she's currently losing her race for the school board in Albemarle County, Virginia, by a margin of well, by a large margin. It seems that there's 30 of the 31 precincts that have already been counted. Her opponent, Bryce, was down 24 points to, um, I'm sorry, Meg Bryce. She's the daughter of, I'm, I'm lost here, <laughs> 24 percentage points to Allison Spillman. Um, so they're saying that she's losing this election because she has four children, all of who are in private school. Uh, that's a shame. Uh, let's see. Youngkin, uh, after the Democrats win, he doesn't have anything to say. And I'd love to hear what he's got to say. And it sucks. Chris Christie's out there pounding on his chest saying that Daniel Cameron's loss was Trump's fault. And there's more. I got more. Anyway, we'll get to more straight ahead. Your calls are coming up. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. Uh, we're discussing all of the election results. We're also going to talk about uh, the Trump case from yesterday. A couple of more thoughts I had. And again, your calls. It's Open Phone America with me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. Mr. Call Screener who is a budding radio star, by the way. Richie Valdez is terrific. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. We're going to get straight uh, to your calls uh, momentarily. Actually, we'll do it right now. Uh, let's go to Bill, Jefferson City, Missouri, KTTR. Bill is our resident historian here on the program. Bill, go right ahead. I'd like to tell you, Rich, about uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's uh, victory with Harry Truman uh, 79 years ago tonight. And also, a Marine, you know, this was the Marine Corps' anniversary or birthday uh, this past weekend. And I would like to tell you about a Marine I met that was involved in the seven day, six day or seven day war in wow. 1967 that I met. Could I do that? Yeah, go for it. Love to hear it. Okay. Well, the the uh, uh, the Marine was uh, who I met lives in Southwest Missouri now, but he was on the USS Liberty in '67 when Abdul Nasser was planning his big attack and the. The uh, uh, Israelis uh, whipped a bunch of rear ends, and uh, he was he got, he unfortunately got in, involved in it too. So, uh, so his name is Bryce Lockwood, and he lives in Southwest Missouri now. But he, his skill was uh, he was a signal intelligence officer, and he didn't they didn't tell the working for the CIA 
on this USS Liberty, and the Israelis said, we're, we're going to uh, uh, not acknowledge that. But anyway, he's a great guy, and uh, he looks really good in his uh, Marine Corps uniform, so I'm sure I'd like to give a shout-out to, uh, to uh, Bryce uh, this evening. Thank yeah, you. absolutely. You bet. Bill, and thanks for mentioning the uh, the Marine Corps birthday coming up. We also have F Veterans Day that's coming up at the end of the week, and uh, we're going to be sure to um, acknowledge uh, both the Marine Corps and Veterans Day as we get closer to all of that. So, Bill, thank you again for your um, contribution as our unofficial resident historian here on the program. Always a pleasure, Bill. Big shout-out to uh, Missouri. I always want to say Montana. KTTR, Jefferson City outstanding let's continue let's go to uh sarah sarah is in bedford indiana wbiw sarah go right ahead hey great show as always uh the reason that you're not constantly looking through an ethnocentric lens when you deal with people because you're not racist but a lot of these leftists (laughs) be it people of color be it women be it you know lgbt they're extreme bigots Really, they're the big racists, they're the big bigots. So the minute somebody who's different than they are and not in a protected group dares to disagree, it doesn't matter what, they're going to inject race. And it's really a reflection of their own bigotry. And honestly, as a white person, I fear for my future if these people take control of the country because, I mean, just imagine having to deal with a judge or a police officer who shares that attitude. They're not going to look at right or wrong or what happened. They're just going to say, you're white, you're racist, you're straight. Or this, you know what I'm saying? They're just going to judge you by their own bigoted agenda, and I, I really fear for a future we'd have to face someone like that. You know, you know, Sarah. It's it's uh, a thanks for the kind words, but B, um, it, it's fascinating to me that I, I feel like I grew up in a time where it was like um, sacrosanct to um, you know it was sacrilege to 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 go against. Um, the, the teachings of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. When he said things like, you know, uh, are my little children to be judged by the uh, content of their character, not the color of their skin. And, and this is how I thought we all conducted ourselves. And as I, I get older, I realize that that's not the case, that there are a lot of people. They've redefined what racism looks like. They've said you can never be racist against white people. Uh, yet, so that's why they're so open and uh, abashed in in their um, reticence or even hatred of of white people. And it, it's fascinating. I read an article some, uh, yeah, probably some years ago, um, published in Marxist.org, and it talked about the national uh, minority and how um, they would appeal to the national minority to recruit more people into the Communist Party USA. At the time, that's what they were talking about. And it was just fascinating how they did. And they said that they would use the unions and they would try to create a position to give to um, people in the national minority for them to feel like they had um, some sort of leverage or power. But they said in reality, it was an inconsequential position within the union framework. And uh, just so interesting. And I I remember reading this and and thinking, wow, they've literally spelled out how they're going to take advantage of people, how they're going to uh, behave a certain way to, you know, win people over to their cause of communism. 
And I thought, uh, you know, my years of observing politics, I've never, ever um, thought about, you know, doing something like that, theatrical, to try to get someone to believe what I believe politically. I'll make an argument. I'll put some my opinions out there, maybe uh, a chart or two if they're available. And that's, that's pretty much it, right? It's play some audio. You play a video clip. But there's, I mean, just some of the stuff that we see here, This the these elaborate books that withstand the test of time where you're supposed to take care of uh, the national minority and make them feel supported and make them feel intelligent. I mean, it says, it says all of this in this um, manual. And, and all I can do is uh, I, I just can't help but think that the racists that are in charge of this, they're ultimately hurting our foundation. They're hurting what was um, once a great, great, great nation. And uh, I'm fearful as well, Sarah, of what it looks like moving forward. And I'm not white. I'm brown, right? I'm a uh, what they call a BIPOC, brown, indigenous person of color. <laughs> but uh, all that uh, aside, the reality is um, life doesn't seem to be getting friendlier, uh, better, or easier. And um, that's unfortunate. But thank you for your call. I appreciate it. We continue with the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, let's go to Jim, who's listening to KFNX in Phoenix. Go right ahead, Jim. Hello, uh, Rich Valdez with an S. How are you? Wonderful. Thank you, sir. Okay, well, uh, what Sarah was saying uh, has occurred to me quite a bit. I think CRT doesn't stand for um, uh, critical race theory. I think it stands for Caucasian reduction tactics. But mm-hmm. that's besides what I called about is, I'm kind of upset about it, is three years ago, if we didn't get our COVID vaccinations and wear a mask, it was like the end of the world. But now all of a sudden, since Brandon is president, there's, it's like a secret or something. It's still running around out there. There's still vaccinations available, but I don't know what kinds are available or where to get one or how much they cost or anything. It's like now, now that he's president, it's no big deal anymore. He said he was going to end it, but it's still running around out there. So what's the deal with that? Yeah, Jim, I think that's an interesting point. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't know where, what to tell you on where to take a vaccine, how to take a vaccine, any of that stuff. But I will say that um, I'm glad that COVID is not as as prevalent and as uh, restrictive as it once was. 
uh, because, you know, having done so many things in the name of COVID to people, you can't sing at church in the name of COVID. You can't watch your loved ones die in the name of COVID. I mean, you name it, there were so many major impacts that people went through in the name of COVID that I'm glad they're no longer going through those and people are in a better position. Uh, so that's kind of my take on that. But I agree with you that it's clear that they uh, abused the system when they thought there were more Republicans in the White House or wherever it was. Uh, they were happy to um, to to go after them and to do that that way, right, to, to be restrictive. Um, now that it's not so much and uh, it's uh, Joe El Baboso Biden in the White House, they just want to say, oh, yeah, yeah, we announced that and uh, whatever and, you know, kind of downplay everything. Um, and it, it's just a cheesy double standard, but it, that's exactly what it is. And it's uh, unfortunate, to say the least. Uh, Jim, Kansas City, Missouri, listening on KFNX in Phoenix. I appreciate the call. And, folks, we're coming back to your calls and more. Plus, uh, President Trump's attorney, Alina Haba, had some choice words for the judge and the attorney general we have a couple of clips on that as well. Might play that on the way back. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. We continue with your phone calls and more. Uh, Let's go to, um, let's see here. Gary, Ridgefield, Connecticut, WLAD. Go right ahead, Gary. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hi, Mr. Valdez. Uh, Nice to talk to you again. Um, I uh, Thank you. Uh, I heard the uh, clip that you've played a couple of times of uh, Rashida Tlaib uh, mm-hmm. pointing out to all of us that uh, Palestinians are, are uh, not disposable, I think was the, the uh, term she used. Yeah. Well, um, it, it, it made me think that uh, she's really uh, preaching to the choir because I think most people in the United States um, have wished uh, for the Palestinians to have a home you know, and, and to be safe and, and have a decent life, uh, you know, like the rest of us, um, for, for, uh, a long time. And, um, if, if Rashida Tlaib really wants to improve the, uh, the lives and, and the condition of the Palestinians, I, I think that, uh, she would be best served in, by taking her arguments to Hamas because Hamas is um, uh, is or are the ones that really um, seem to treat the Palestinians as uh, their lives as disposable. Uh, they they prevented them from uh, from leaving the country when they knew that uh, you know Israeli uh, Israel was was coming in, you know to uh, uh, you know to look and and find the uh, the so-called Hamas fighters, the you know basically right. cowards who attack innocent people. And um, I was listening to a, uh, a wonderful interview with uh, 
with Jack, uh, uh, General Jack Keene, who was yeah. the uh, uh, previous, you know, uh, chief of staff for the army, and he said that um, that this is all. He said you have to remember this is all being orchestrated by uh, by Iran, and he said also, you know, this has been carefully planned, and that when it was planned. Um, Hamas knew that um, they they could reasonably predict what Israel's reaction would be, and mm. that a lot of people would 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 die as a result. And so, so what they did was they deliberately put the lives of the Palestinians. Well, they they deliberately made them disposable. And um, you know uh, what is Israel supposed to do? Uh, these, these these people are, you know, living right next to them, shooting rockets at them constantly, and and uh, committing uh, unthinkable atrocities against um, you know Israelis. Remember that they also killed Americans, and uh, have uh, once again taken Americans hostage. So you know, um, like I said, um, Rashida Tlaib's comments, I think, would be best served, uh, taken to uh, Hamas. Uh, last night, you had a, uh, you, you played a clip of um, uh, one of your guests who, I think it was one of your guests who said that um, perception is reality. It wasn't one of your, your it wasn't one of your guests. It was um, somebody, I think, that you were uh, uh, criticizing, and rightfully okay. so. When, when I heard when I heard her say that that uh, perception is reality, it made me think of the uh, the um, advice: um, believe half of what you see and none of what you hear. <laughs> and um, and when I was listening to Rashida Tlaib uh, and her hysterics, when I give her credit because I know that she she I believe that she cares about her people, so I I give her credit for that, but. I, I I don't give her credit for for putting forth a, a, a false narrative, or if, yeah. if if she if she truly believes her narrative, I think she should, you know, rethink and 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 reconsider. I think you're right, Gary. And you know, it's, it's interesting what you say. Um, I think there are a lot of people that believe things, but when the narrative is false, like you just said, and I'll make a similar example. Uh, in Puerto Rico, there has been a movement, uh, and this is you know the land of my parents, if you will. Um, there's a, a movement afoot in Puerto Rico that is just like the one that started the Cuban Revolution. It's a communist movement of communist sympathizers where they call each other comrade and they're out and, and unabashed communists. And they constantly refer to the United States as colonizers and imperialists. And, and this, this is constantly, uh, you know, they talk about the American occupation in Puerto Rico and, and whatever, you know, one's view on this is, uh, mine is not, um, shared with them, but my point is, um, that's a false narrative and I don't buy it. And I'll be, uh, just quick tease on that. I'll be discussing that on my podcast. This is America with Rich Valdez. You can get that wherever podcasts are available. That episode should be available in the next 48 hours or so. But my, my point in saying that was just like, um, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib is serving. Um, she's a, a a United States member of Congress. Uh, this is a position that is in the Constitution. And 
And she's there being an apologist for not just another country, but for terrorists that operate a political party in another country. And that, that to me is egregious. It's outrageous. It's bizarre. It's insane. Uh, but that's where we are. And it, it's so similar to me when I hear about these folks uh, in Puerto Rico that like back in 1954 got together and went to Congress and shot um, a member of Congress and a couple of other people. So uh, it's, it's unfortunate. It just means that there's work for us to do. And sometimes um, it, it's harder work than other times. And I really appreciate the call, Gary, um, on WLAD in Connecticut. Let me see. Where do we go here? I guess very quickly, let's go to um, Scott in Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA, quickly. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Our two-term mayor was not reelected. These are unofficial results, but he got in the 30s and came in second, so there will be a runoff. But he was a COVID tyrant, uh, BLM masked in our city square, Marion Square, mm. and went on a tirade, and he held the police back. And his knee-jerk reaction to their looting was to take down the statue of uh, John C. Calhoun, which is still not in the museum, and he's an imperfect person. Second thing, Rich, thanks for yep. the hour with Dr. Callahan. Uh, oh, appreciate you bet. your candor and confidence to talk about things, and uh, I'll listen to that hour again, and I'll let you go. Thanks. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate your kind words, and uh, I'm glad they gave your woke tyrant mayor a, uh, a runoff, uh, even if he wins, at least uh, hopefully that comes as a wake-up call to not be so heavy-handed because um, it seems like Democrats are doing good on this election night. Uh, hopefully we can wake up to some better news. But, folks, I'm Rich Valdez. Take care, good night, and God bless. Do it all again tomorrow. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.